1: And welcome back to the Antigroup Whistle Podcast. This is Scott Hansen. I'm running solo today because we're in the quarantine edition. And uh, Adam and I had uh, recently had the opportunity to work together and collaborate with our friends at the Nova Hoopcast, Brian Doyle and Kevin Weirin. They do a great job of covering the boys' basketball scene here in Northern Virginia. And we were able to get our hands on the finalists for the rule changes for the upcoming season for the National Federation of High Schools. And so we thought it might be a pretty good idea. Let's get together and see if there's an opportunity for us to share some insights from the official side, from the coach's side. Uh, plus I think we're all pretty bored at this point with the quarantine that we're having to deal with. And um, we want to you know, share our uh, extended uh, prayers for those that are suffering and thank all the, the first responders. But we thought it might be a good opportunity to share with all of those that uh, might be joining us in their boredom and maybe want to listen to something basketball related. So what you'll hear next is uh, the inadvertent whistle podcast is invading the Nova Hoops cast uh, as we go through the rule changes for next season. And when we're done, I'll wrap this up and uh, thank some people. But I want to say, uh, I hope you enjoy this. And now let's get on to the, the podcast.
0: Okay, welcome to the Nova Hoop Cast quarantine edition. Uh, Kevin and Brian with you in the off season here. This is our quarantine edition we're uh, joined we're doing a collaborative effort with our friends from the Inadvertent Whistle podcast Adam Brick and Scott Bach Hansen Um, thanks for inviting us guys Uh, Kevin any words for the guys there I don't recognize them without their stripes on yeah no words just
2: glad to have them here
1: today it's good to be with you guys I think uh, you know this is a first I think uh, some people have Recommended that we get together and do something, uh, you know. And maybe there's maybe there's more to that down the road. But uh, you know, it's it's good to see other human beings, uh, you know, for once. So well, they're coaches. Let's not go as far as human beings. This is true. This is true, Adam. <laughs> that didn't take long. New. So, no. so uh, one of the reasons we we're getting together today is uh, recently the the finalists for the, the next year's rule changes came out from the National Federation of High Schools. And I got, was able to get my hands on them. Uh, uh, luckily, I'm not sure if it was because I wrote one of them or it was just because I just got lucky. So I thought it would be maybe a good idea for the four of us to get together and kind of go through some of them. There's 28, so we're not going to go through 28 and we're not going to go through the, <laughs> the headbands or other stuff. We're just going to really, so if you're listening, them.
3: hang with us. Cause we're not going through 28.
1: Yes. Uh, so, uh, If you're not
3: listening, join in because it could be interesting.
1: Well, they have more listeners than us. We're, we only have seven. So. Not after this
3: one, they're not going <laughs> to. People going to leave like flies.
1: So I thought I'd uh, just kind of maybe uh, jump into it. We can just kind of start talking about it. Is that okay with you guys?
3: Hey, Scott,
2: before we hey, jump sorry. in, can you tell us a little bit about, you mentioned you were part of one of the rule changes. Can you tell us a little bit about that procedure and how that works?
1: Yeah, so any any coach, official, or administrator, anybody affiliated with the basketball National Federation uh, high school level can go on the National Federation website and submit any rule change that they uh, deem to be uh, you know, of interest to them. A few years ago, some, some of the listeners and, and those that are uh, watching may have remembered that Gil Mack and I put in a rule change to have the coaching box expanded from the 14 foot to the 28 feet. And uh, so that was one of the, that was my first four way into changing into uh, the rule changes. And then for the last few years I've submitted one. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but it's uh, anybody can do it now inside the rooms a little bit different and, and maybe uh, it would be best to let Adam kind of give a, a 30,000 foot view for many that don't know. Adam used to be the, the AD at Georgetown and, and served on the NCAA rules committee for a number of years. So maybe... I don't know, Adam, can you give them a a view of what's inside the room where it happens?
3: Uh, I can only tell you what's inside the NCAA room, and uh, it was probably one of the more fun experiences of my professional career. Hmm. Just a quick story I'll tell is when we – I I don't even remember the years I was on the committee, quite honestly. But I was on the committee with Mike Bray, um, who's as you all know, is the coach at Notre Dame. And uh, it's when we we put in the silly rule for the imaginary uh, cylinder underneath the basket for the beginnings of the restricted arc. And we we couldn't make a rule change that quickly because the NCAA needs a couple of years to let divisions two and three catch up with the finances to make changes to the court. So we came up with this imaginary cylinder underneath the basket. And we were in a hotel ballroom in Indianapolis and we taped out a basketball court. We moved all the tables out of the way. And Mike Bray and Reggie Witherspoon was at Buffalo at the time and a couple other coaches. They're running plays, and we're running through all these different scenarios of what should be a restricted area play, what shouldn't be, and that was just pretty cool. Um, Other than that, I don't remember about anything about my time on the committee. Other than Mike Bray is a great guy, and he pays for lots of lunches.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mike Bray is a
2: friend of Brian's.
0: Good dude. He was my uh, coach when – I went to basketball camp when I was, like, 18 and he was 20 or something like that down at um, Damatha and St. John's. I think he was playing at yeah, – Was that he, an
2: all-Metropolitan basketball camp?
0: Yeah, John's? yeah. It was yeah. even before he went to GW. I think he was it at was, Northwest Louisiana or something like that. Um, anyway, yeah, good guy. Very good guy. We and, went and visited him, not to get off track, but
2: we went to visit him in Delaware one time, Brian and I. And he was a very cool host. Yeah, he was uh, awesome. Had a lot of fun with him.
1: Well, and a little a little known fact is all you coaches can blame Mike Bray because he's actually the one that got me into officiating. Uh, I I thought I was going to be a like college but I thought I was going to be a college basketball player, and he told me, Scott, nobody's recruiting you. You should get into officiating or coaching. And, I don't like uh, him anymore. I I tried coaching and I, I made it through four games, but I got kicked out of two of them, and uh, that's <laughs> why I'm unofficial now. <laughs> So anyway,
0: it all oh. makes sense.
1: So, uh, so what happens now is the, the these uh, finalists that we're getting ready to start showing uh, will go inside a room and they'll vote on them and they'll come up with, you know, their, their uh, allotment. Last year there were 33 finalists and I think they made five changes. And of the five changes, three or four of them were editorial or language changes. And one of them was rolling of the shorts. So, uh, you know,
0: do so you, you,
3: you think with the role changes this year, with the lack of uh, live sporting events, when they announce the role changes, they'll they'll put make it a live event so we can watch something?
1: <laughs> you know what? If not, we can do, always do it uh, again. But uh, no, that would be we from you know. I think there's a lot of people looking forward to the draft tonight. So, it, by the way, I'm
3: doing everything we can not to talk about role changes, guys. So
1: yeah, no. I can see that.
2: And the rule ro- the rolling of the shorts that was basically last year saying it didn't matter, right? That's what it was.
1: Correct. Yeah, kids they just weren't
2: going to talk. They,
1: they waved the white flag,
2: which is which is good. It just didn't seem to be worth people's time and be that big a deal. So I'm glad you know we're not wasting people's time on stuff that doesn't matter, right?
3: I mean, how, how do you sit there and tell kids to roll their shorts up or tuck their shirts in when most of their coaches are wearing
0: sweatsuits on the sidelines?
2: Fairfax, <laughs> <facts>. Coach Doyle.
0: <laughs> I mean, yes. Well. As you guys know, a lot of people are proponents of, um, you know, the fewer rules, the better, whether it's in coaching or anything else. And the more rules there are, the more things you guys have to keep track of. I mean, it's hard enough to officiate a game, but when you're worrying so much about people rolling their shorts and things like that, it gets a little bit out of hand. It makes your jobs harder, I guess.
1: Yeah, it makes it harder, especially when you have somebody that's really looking at the – spirit and intent of the rule versus being too legalistic. And, uh, you know, it it just, uh, that's part of the challenge with rules as well. So, well, why don't we get into it? Let me, um, let me share my screen and and, uh, I'm going to try and toggle back and forth for our our listeners or watchers. I'm sorry, I'm not very technology savvy. So
3: see, ours is only audio and Scott doesn't know they're actually called viewers, not watchers. Yes. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that's the problem when you <laughs> when you have the face for radio like he does and I do.
1: Right. So, can you guys see my screen here? White? All <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. So, on the left side, it's going to say number one and two. That's how we're going to focus. We're not even going to look at number one because it's a it's a rule that's not necessarily something that we need to really pay attention to. But rule two is probably the first one of a basketball situation that uh, is one to consider. And, it's, and this basically is saying that at the end of the game. Uh, in the fourth quarter or any extra period for the last minute of the game at 59.9 or less, they're going to stop the clock at every dead ball, including after a made basket. Wow. This, this mirrors the NCAA rule. So this is one of the ones that's made the finalist. And, you know, from our side of the fence, I'm going to tell you that this is probably going to be very difficult because we already have challenges enough with our electronic clock operators and you know whoever we can get to run the clocks, um, however there's uh there is a chance uh, that this could pass, but you know right now i I would say probably <clears throat> unlikely.
0: Hey Scott. Um, I think I told you on the phone uh, once or twice the last couple of years, uh, I've been at games where the clock operator and and I'm not sure I don't think it was a um paid clock operator, maybe just somebody in the community did stop the clock. like this probably watch they watch college basketball on tv and so they just do it um so you sometimes run into that that's a big issue in high school because you you know some schools i guess pay for clock operators and some don't and so you never know what you're going to get um so i mean just a a thought there that it it does get confusing depending upon who you have doing it
1: i agree I, i don't know what uh from a coaching perspective, I'm not sure what you guys think about it. I'm not really sure this is a earth-shattering one that I would want to see from an officiating standpoint. But from a coaching standpoint, maybe it's it's better for you guys?
2: I, I think it's better for you. You have an opportunity to maybe get your kids ready. Or, you know, if you prepare, prepare them well enough, they know what to do when the, the ball is dead. And I think it is an advantage. Some coaches. I I, I agree, and we've talked about this a couple times about who's managing that clock. In in our terms, we talked about more about the shot clock, you know, whether that should come in. But um, I agree, there's a lot of times where I've seen games and people think it's college and they stop the clock and people get crazy about it. So I wonder who's going to be running that clock and their ability to do so correctly.
0: I think uh, the other thing you see, we all as coaches teach our guys, you know, if we have the lead late, like real late, and the other team scores, let the ball roll, you know, kill some time. or, Or you might tell your guys, don't even throw it in. There's only five or six seconds left in the game. Just let it roll away. Don't throw it in. Time will run out. So, obviously, it would take that strategy out, which I think maybe in his rationale he wrote something about that.
1: Yeah, you're probably, uh, you're probably right about that. Let me uh, go back to the page here. And, and we're not going to go through all the rationale. But, yeah, additionally, stopping the clock would allow the officials to recognize requests from coaches for timeout at the exact time of the clock and decide when to start to throw in count similar to NFHS football. So, um, anyway, I, I, I think that's one just to, you know, make everyone aware of. Um, and, and while we're here on the screen, I'm just going to scroll down to the next one we'll talk about. We're going to skip headband rules, and so for for those that uh, are looking at you know the smooth headband, don't worry about that. We're not going to pay attention to that right now. So I will read the, this one. This one uh, comes from a very handsome gentleman in Fairfax, Virginia, and this is the basket interference uh, rule we were talking about earlier. This is when a player – for those that don't know, when a player goes to and attempts to block a shot, if they smack the backboard, it gives the officials only one uh, chance to, to call something. And the only thing they can call is a technical foul on the player. It's either that or nothing, at least the National Federation of High School. In the NBA and in the NCAA, they do have the ability to score this <clears throat> basket for basket interference. So it's written in a sense that says unintentionally slaps or strikes the backboard or causes the ring to vibrate while the, the try or a tap is in flight or is touching the backboard or is on the cylinder or in the cylinder of the basket, that it would be basket interference. And so I, I kind of equate this to almost the Emanuel Aguirre uh, sense, because whenever he tried to block a shot, it would be uh, very, very... Uh, you know uh, demonstrative powerful kid um, could shake the basket and a lot of people were upset that we weren't calling basket interference and the reason why is because we couldn't it wasn't in the rule book so I don't know I'll let you guys discuss this
3: actually the only time I've ever called it was on him but it was as he dunked the ball it wasn't defensively (laughs) he dunked the ball and at the same time slapped the backboard totally unnecessary the whole thing vibrated it was (laughs) And I whacked him, and and uh, Coach Doug and was like, "Really?" I go, "Really?" Never called it before. I might have been Never there. Never call it again.
0: I might have been at that game. Did you give him? Would you give him good style points for that dunk, though? Oh, absolutely. I think the
3: game might have been at like uh, maybe was it at Madison or yeah. I don't remember where the game was at. It wasn't at South Lakes, I don't think.
2: Manual was transferring, guys. I don't know if you know that. Kind of yeah. Like, quick aside, but he's leaving Shepherd.
1: Oh, really? Where's he got it? Do you know?
2: He's in the portal. I don't know. I don't know where he's going yet. Like a lot of kids, I guess, they are all waiting.
1: For him. In the portal. I'm thinking of entering the
0: portal.
3: <laughs> yes. No, I think this would be a great rule change. If somebody slaps the backboard and the basket and the ball doesn't go in and the ring vibrates, just bring it up, put the ball, put the two points in the in the book and move on.
0: I agree. Well, let me Let me ask you this. So the way the rule is now – a court, by the letter of the law, anytime somebody slaps the backboard at all, you're supposed to give them a technical foul.
3: No. No. It has only, to be if, in, only
0: if it causes.
3: No. It's, so, it's, it's if, it, if we don't deem it to be a legitimate attempt at blocking a shot. So, right. example, drive on the right side of the basket, slap the backboard on the left side of the basket. Clearly right. no op, no intent to block the shot. Anything other than that. Right you know, you're pretty much going to deem as an attempt to block a shot.
1: Yeah. Or if the ball's already on the ring and it's rolling around the ring and then somebody smacks it to try to dislodge it. Th- they're going to call themselves. And by the way, that, that part of it still would stay in the rule. So th- the obvious attempt to not block a shot and have something happen with the ball, that's still staying in there. But what it does is it now gives the officials an opportunity to have a little bit more flexibility. With calling out, I'll share a quick story that Adam and I had to get involved in a couple years ago. There was a Loudoun County school where a player received their first technical foul for reaching across the plane and touching the ball. And they received their second uh, technical foul for trying to block a shot and smacking the backboard. They were ejected. And as a result, they were supposed to miss senior night. And uh, Adam and I and, and Mike Preston, our rules interpreter, wrote in and requested that. Uh, it be reconsidered because the rule was misapplied because it was just an attempt at a block shot. And we hated to see this kid who was going through some difficult times. Uh, And basketball was really the only thing he had going for him, miss out on senior night. And we were able to, we were able to be successful at that. VHSL agreed with us.
3: You're going to start to let them think that officials have hearts. Don't let them think that. It's
1: just true. I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me, let me get out of this uh, real quick. Any last thoughts on this one? Anybody?
0: Okay. No, I really commend whoever submitted that one, though. Yeah, Very I handsome.
1: Wonder, I mean,
3: it's written pretty well grammatically, so I wonder who wrote that, actually.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Probably somebody with a law degree. <laughs> I
3: don't know if it's somebody with a law degree. It's somebody, certainly somebody <laughs> with a brain, though.
1: <laughs> so this is, uh, this is one of the ones that's written twice. We're on number five here. You guys can still see my screen, I hope. And what this is saying is that at the end of each quarter, they're going to reset the foul count. So at the end of the quarter, uh, it will go to zero. So at the end of the first quarter, the team fouls go to zero on each side, but they'll shoot bonus free throws on the sixth team foul. And then there's another one that's written exactly the same way, but they want to shoot it on the fifth team foul. So there's two different options here. So if you have five team fouls in the first quarter, uh, depending on which option it is, you'll either shoot one-on-one or the next one will be one-on-one or double bonus. They're not shooting one-on-one. These are only double bonus. And so, and then at the beginning of the next quarter, they'll reset. So, and that's, uh, that's what both of these are. Uh, and again, one is the sixth team foul and one is the 15th foul of each quarter. And then team fouls will reset to zero. Each team will shoot double bonus or two shots when they reach that bonus level. So that is the next one.
0: Thoughts? no. So-
2: I don't think it's
0: okay, either so one. Yeah, only only double bonus and reset at each quarter.
1: And the reason that they want to take out the, the regular bonus is they think it's confusing and it creates correctable error situations for officials. That's their rationale.
0: First well, of all, is it
1: the, it's not confusing. I don't no. think it's it
3: is not confusing. Yeah.
2: I don't. I agree. I don't see the point. I just it's like minutia. I don't I don't see why you need to put a rule in
1: ruling about that. The one thing I like just, about it is from an officiating standpoint is you're not shooting, you know, bonus and double bonus the entire second quarter for teams that are very handsy, which yeah, slows, slows down the game.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was going to say it might speed up the game a little bit.
3: I guess it depends from a, like I mean, a for, lot of time on your
0: game.
3: from a philosophical standpoint as a coach, it goes back, at least for me, it's a question. I don't have an answer for It is If one-on-one one is a part of the game where making free throws is an important strategy of the game or missing free throws, then do you want to go at any point in time straight to double bonus without a one-on-one? One? Is that a part of the game that should stay? And I don't have an opinion one way or the other.
0: Kevin?
2: <laughs> I don't know. I'm, you know. I'm a slow processor. As they told me in school, so I'd have to give some time to think about that. But I just don't – to me, I just don't see it being that big a deal. I don't know. I, I'm sure as I had Mark Ray Mendez on here, he could consult and advise me about all the scenarios. I just don't – I don't have an immediate thought on it. I don't know, around do you?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that that part of the game is, like, broken – Um, I, I guess the, the one thing that maybe could be addressed and this might've been written about in one of the other ones is, you know, fouling at the end of the game. I mean, we've been talking about that probably for years in the game and I'm sure that probably came up in, um, Adam's meetings on the college level too, that maybe there's things that can be done, um, to address, you know, fouling at the end of games. I think it goes way back to Jim Valvano and NC state back in the day, um, but I, I don't know that this is necessarily – like, when I look at these rule changes, I look like, what are we f- fixing? And I, I don't I don't know that there's anything that needs fixing here.
1: I'd be, a, I'd be more in favor of this if it was one and one as opposed to double bonus. I like the idea of the resetting because it speeds up the game and we're not shooting forever in the, you know, second and fourth quarters. You know, most of the people aren't there to watch people shoot free throws. Right. It's a part of the game. I'd I, I like to keep it at one-on-one one as opposed to two shots. But, but anyways, oh, just call it's true.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, I can think of like, I feel like maybe there's one or two games a year where you feel like all we did was watch teams shoot free throws. But I don't feel like it happens that often.
1: All right. I'm going to go ahead and jump to the next one here.
3: It's just better about toppy be number six or number seven, because that means we're going one at a time
1: and that's awful slow.
0: Yeah. Only twenty one more to go.
1: Well, this one's this one's kind of important though. This now says a disqualified player is one who <clears throat> is barred from further participation in the game because of having committed his or her fifth personal foul. Personal or technical, or any combination of two technicals and or intentional fouls or a flagrant per game. So if you have a play where you have uh, a a player getting a technical foul for reaching across the plane in the first quarter, and then there's an intentional foul later in the game, that player would be disqualified. Awful. Next.
0: Yeah. I I agree. (laughs) I mean, you guys have the – officials have the power to eject somebody, right? Whether you give them – Two technicals or one technical, right? Can't you can you eject somebody?
3: Yes, yeah, just put the getting... word "flagrant" whatever we call, and you can yeah. see yeah. it.
0: Yeah. So, so you have that authority. So, um, I don't, I don't, I'm not in favor of this. Can one. I ask a
2: quick question, uh, sure. officials? How many guys have you ejected over your career,
0: players or
2: and or coaches? If you can't remember, I think there's a problem.
0: Not including Kevin.
3: I mean, you're not talking about a disqualified player who's gotten five fouls, and you're not talking about anybody. Uh, I've ejected two fans in my career, but I don't think I've ever ejected a player. No, and one player. One player, the Oakton-Hayfield regional final at the Patriot Center. The kid that was going to William & Mary on a football scholarship got tossed for Hawk and the last
2: second
3: shots so, pardon was
2: that the last second or open one on last second shot
3: I don't remember the outcome of the game but I remember the the individual I don't even remember the kid's name but I remember he got on a defensive play he he had I guess he had broken his elbow or something during the football season fell on it during this game he was down in the wild in the paint while they tended to him and the kids from the uh Hayfield side yelled, you know, well it was all quiet, hey, ref, three seconds. Which was, you know, sort of funny. And this kid dropped, popped up like he was shot out of a cannon and was trying to get to the other end to fight whoever said it. And they're holding him back and the kid spits. And you can see the loogie going through the air on the tape. Oh, so, Yeah, we ejected him for that. But other than that, I don't think I've ever ejected a player or a coach.
2: Scott?
1: I ejected a coach uh... When I was in Board 12 from Carroll High School, once, same game I ejected the scorekeeper. Nice, (laughs) nice. And uh,
3: that's because he was stopping the clock in the last minute of the game. (laughs) Right, (laughs) that's right.
1: And uh, I had uh, a game at West Virginia Wesleyan playing Davis Nelkins, Uh, Tim Comer, who's now a ACC official, myself, and one other gentleman. We had a brawl and we ended up ejecting I think fourteen players. Uh, not, not pretty, but from other than that I think generally just having good communication skills
0: has helped.
2: Brian, you've been ejected, Brian? Uh negative. One time. Who gotcha? I can't remember his name. I did know a lot of the guys
3: Was it deserved?
2: Around. But it was at home versus Falls church. And uh, came on the court and kind of deserved that. He gave me the first one, and then I, I wouldn't let it go. And, and then he said I cursed. And that was an alleged curse. I don't You
0: can't have it. that. What's that? We can't have that.
2: Well, the best thing about it was um, – Cursing? Well, we, we, we won, which made me feel good. But the next game I had to sit out was at Westfield, and they were awesome that and I was like, hey, good luck.
0: Good luck, coaches. <laughs> nice. Every now and then, that Sterling Park anger comes out. That That's chip right, on shoulder. Boulevard used to call at me. <laughs>
1: I tell you, what really helped me was I had a really good mentor who's an NBA referee. You guys know him, uh, Scott Foster. And when I was a JV official, I used to give out technical fouls like Halloween candy. You get one, you get one. It was like Oprah giving out cars and. He, uh, he heard about it and, and told me that I needed to go sign up for men's A-League basketball, do a three-game set, and he told me for every technical foul you call, you give me 20 bucks. And uh, and I it, it really taught me how to communicate with people even when they were mad at you. And uh, before night was over, I did call a technical foul on Brian Maggett, uh, who ended up playing at Maryland and GW. And... Uh, when I walked in the bar, I took $20 out of my hand and gave it to Scott and I said, it was worth it. So, <laughs> but anyway, so let's go, let's, let's go down to the next one here. It looks like we got past that one.
3: The next one's not number eight, right?
1: <laughs> uh, I, I'm not even looking at it. So yeah, no. Uh, number nine. Nope. That's just a clarification. This is about forfeiture of a game. Don't need that. All right. Number 13 is uh, is kind of a big one. They're trying to take away the coach's ability to call a timeout unless there's a dead ball. Terrible idea. Mm. Trying to mirror the college rule.
0: Well, we're coaches, so I, can, I think I can speak for Kevin that we're against that. Oh, yes. And they coach 15- to 18-year-olds who aren't 18- to 22-year-olds. Yeah. yeah, no way terrible. Now I'll tell you what, let me ask, let me ask you guys as officials what you think. One of my pet peeves is every coach that immediately yells for a timeout during a, you know, scramble for a loose ball on the floor. Um, And it could be like, I see coaches do it like 30 seconds into the game and I've always wanted to try to save my timeouts. Um, But I think that's a tough call for officials to make is when guys are fighting for the ball on a, on the floor and both coaches are standing up yelling timeout, timeout, timeout.
3: Well, that's great. Then that's when you just call a timeout and you give it to both teams and we've just saved a timeout. <laughs> the game. It's perfect. Right.
1: I, I look at it as if I hear it, I'm not taking my eyes off the court, but if I hear it, I'll point to the bench. I think I may have even stolen this from Adam. Whereas, okay, I'm acknowledging that he's calling timeout, but I'm not yet calling it because this kid doesn't have possession yet. But as soon as he has possession, I'm going to hit my whistle and give him the timeout. Um, You know, and and there's some coaches and, and, you know, that tell their kids don't ever call a timeout. Those are my timeouts. Uh, And so, you know, I think that those are uh, those kids are a little bit more well-trained not to ask for a timeout. So they're going to listen for the coach. I can't imagine if this rule went into place for those coaches that don't let their kids call timeouts, how they're going to be able to manage that. But Coach Dobson would have to retire. <laughs> it's true. So I, I, I am in agreement with you guys, though, and I think one of the things in the rationale, I understand what they're saying, that in the heat of a moment, there's a, there's a, a fracas or there's a, a drive to the basket down the stretch, <laughs> and some coach yells timeout or, in some cases, whispers timeout, and then they say, hey, I called timeout. And uh it's more of a gotcha at that point, but that's so few and far between and to Adam's point, fifteen to eighteen year olds versus eighteen to twenty-two year olds is a big difference. But that is one of the finalists, so hopefully uh we don't see that one coming through. Uh this is just a small one if the ball lodges on the basket. If somebody takes a shot and you know how it gets stuck between the rim and the backboard? My shots
3: have never done that. My shots always go in. <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> um, instead of instead of it being a held ball, whoever's the one that uh, caused it to get lodged, whether it's a you know a pass or a shot, it won't be a held ball. That team loses the ball, goes to the defensive team.
3: I invoke the Brian Doyle rule on
0: that. It ain't a problem. Leave it alone. Yeah, it, it was interesting when I read that. Like I had never thought about that's something that needs to be changed. It's interesting. <sighs> though, but I, I don't think it matters.
1: Okay. Let's keep going down to the next one here.
3: I just want to know if anybody put in the one where the, you have to indicate in the scorebook which players have contact lenses in. That's the important thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Call that the Pat Halley rule all right here uh, for number 17 the free throw shooter if they violate on the second shot that team b will ha- be able to have the right to run the end line as if it was a made free throw
3: but it wasn't a made free throw
1: <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't i don't know how that's gonna um
3: next yeah
1: uh i don't
0: this think is... there's any discussion
1: 18 I'll, I'll call this the ed troja play may he rest in peace A player should not purposely or deceitfully delay returning to the court after legally being out of bounds. They're changing this from a technical foul to just a violation similar to swinging of the elbows.
0: What is that? Please explain. (laughs) Please
1: don't.
0: (laughs) Please don't. I mean, I don't get it. Nobody. A guy goes out of bounds and takes his time coming back in? Right. And right now, there are officials,
3: there are a few. That will because it's in the book that will call that a technical foul. It should just be removed from the book, not made a dead uh, a violation. But yeah, no. Next,
1: we had an official call it twice in one game last year. See
3: that
2: that kind of stuff, you know. And I think we've talked about on the podcast before, like knowing the difference between what the game is and what it's not. And I'm going to pick on a football official, not a basketball official, but we had. at Riverside, we had like a youth night for halftime. And technically, you're supposed to let the head assigner, the head official know if you're going to extend ha- halftime longer than the normal time. Well, knowing Matt Oblas, he had emailed and contacted the head officials, but the, the white hat at that game didn't know. So he said, it's a it's a penalty. You're going to start off with a penalty, begin in the second half. And I – And I don't lose my temper a whole lot, but I got upset. I just like, this is about young kids. It speaks to your point of like that rule where where, where officials do things just because they're in the book and they don't necessarily understand what's good for the game and what's not. And I always enjoyed coaches or officials who understood that, what's important and what's not. I think, Adam, you were doing a game with Riverside this past winter where we had a situation where I don't think we had – the kids in the book because our bookkeeper was like in the bathroom or something, you know? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, we might get a technical, you know, because you know, the, the old rule hadn't have everything in. I guess my point is very simply what's really important and who's calling every single rule and, and who just understands that that's just not part of what's good for the game.
3: Well, that, yeah. was, that I mean, you know, so. At that game, we invoked the bathroom rule, the timer as a, uh, intestinal fortitude issue within minutes of the game, we're gonna adjust, we're yeah. Gonna <laughs> we're gonna adjust,
2: but I think that's really like a fundamental thing that coaches have problems with officials when they invoke rules that really are not, they are a rule. I get it, it's in the book, but it's not something that is reasonable, and that used to drive me nuts. You're gonna I'll see a rule, it's like HOA. My
3: right. prep, my I'll, I'll share a quick story Years ago doing a Hanley Winchester, uh, a Hanley Millbrook Doubleheader um, You know, big rivalry out that way And it was the uh, it was Doing the girls game first And then the boys game And in the girls game The Hanley manager packed the wrong uniforms <laughs> So They had to go back and get the away uniforms They put the home uniforms in and so, and of course, as you guys know, sometimes in high school, the numbers aren't the same between a kid's home and away Jersey. It happens, right? They don't have. And so the, the Millbrook coach, who was a really good coach, really nice lady. She wanted to know if we were going to start the game with a technical foul because they didn't have the numbers in the book. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so we're going to really, we're going to throw salt in the wound on the poor student manager who packed the wrong and I said, Coach, you know, what, what's the intent of the rule? The intent of the rule is that you know who's starting, right? She goes, Absolutely. I said, That's your biggest rival, right? She goes, Yeah. I said, How many times have you seen them play? She goes, Oh, many times. I said, Well, then you know who's going to start. So we're not starting a game with a technical foul. I mean, that's the, right. intent of the rule. I mean, so, yeah, I'm with the
2: you. The intent. I guess sir, yeah. you said it right. What's the intent of the rule and how's it being
0: used? Yeah, I have uh, two comments. First is, uh, Kevin, that was the night you called me irate that Adam was at your school doing a game after you had scratched him. Uh, That's the rest of the story there. Um, But uh, I think – Hey, that was nothing compared to what Kaz was saying. Right. right. It's like the, uh, you know, common sense. I think what we're all saying is like, the spirit of the rule as opposed to the letter of the rule. And, and we run into that, Kevin, I know you run into that in school all the time. I did as an administrator, there's a million rules in the school system. And if you, uh, you know, if you followed everyone to the letter, uh, you know, it would be ridiculous. And I think it's it's the same thing in everything. It's the same thing in officials and officiating. I'm sure you guys talk about that all the time in your meetings. I mean, you could know the rule book frontwards and backwards, but um, you've got to have some common sense.
1: Well, you know i don't i normally don't like to compliment adam but he is the king of common sense i mean he's you know everybody wants to have the same type of ability to to communicate with coaches that he has but sometimes just it's kind of like being around somebody that has a really good golf swing and all of a sudden they have the right tempo and all of a sudden you start having the right tempo and the more i I hang around adam the more i've learned about some things and it, it helped me a few years ago i was doing the middleburg versus westfield christmas holiday final and uh it was a great game, and during the game, there was uh, blood on the uniform of one of the Westfield players, and one of our other officials who was over by the table, who wasn't really strong with rules, told the the Westfield coach, Doug, yeah, just have him change his shirt behind the bench, um, which he's not allowed to. You're supposed to leave the visual confines of the court, and um, by the time he called me over, and by the time I got there, the kid had already taken his shirt off, and he was changing it. And, uh, and I said, Jeff, that's a technical foul. And he said, Oh, well, I told him to go behind the bench. And it's just taking that common sense and going, well, you know, I can't give him a technical foul if you told him that. And so, you know, we had officials in the stands, you know, and some that are more rule centric than others, you know, wanting to know why I wouldn't assess the technical foul. And it's because what well, we told him to, <laughs> you know, it was our mistake. And so we shouldn't have them penalized for it. Now, what I did do is I, I made Doug agree not to put the kid back in play. He was just trying to get him back in the game right away, and I told him I, – I said, how about if we make a deal here? We won't give you a technical foul, and you just have him sit out for a tick of the clock, and you can bring him back in. And uh, and that's what ended up happening. So sometimes common sense needs to prevail, and I think, uh, you know, it's not always going to do it, but I, I hope that our common sense and the coach's common sense meet, and, and hopefully that will be more prevalent. So – let me uh let me get on to the next uh rule change here.
0: Number 28.
1: Number 19. Oops. This is one that uh people have an interest in. Oh jeez. It's like it's like watching the NCAA brackets and all of a sudden the team shows up on the screen. The shot clock. Oh yeah. And it's it's uh the way it's written uh it's in two different capacities here. So one is to have it at 35 seconds. And then the other one gives it to either 30, 35, or 40, and I think the second one, the second, one, the, the, the second one's side at the beginning of the game.
0: The I'd second one is,
1: is, is written in a way that that's more uh, appropriate because it's by state association adoption, um, and then they can make the decision of whether to do 30, 35, or 40 seconds. So I know this has been a big topic. Um, before I turn over the coaches, I, I will share that I think that one of the challenges that uh, I've heard from uh, in different places in the VHSL is that some areas uh, can't afford to have not just the shot clock, but the operator because of the rural areas. Um, I think the, the, the cost of a shot clock is, is, you know, a bake sale or two um, to cover that. But when you get into the fact of you're going to have to pay somebody 30, 40, 50 bucks to run the shot clock, that is uh, pretty good. And you're going to do it for freshman JV and varsity. Um, that, that's an impact that around the state is a concern. So, But I'll turn it over to you guys. Uh, I'm, I'm personally for it. I think it's great for basketball. It, it helps us. We referee a couple of schools like Flint Hill and St. Stephen St. Angus that does have the shot clock Potomac School. So we love it. Um, but I also understand the other side of it. So I don't know, Brian, Kevin, what do you guys think?
0: Well, number one, I'm tired of talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) We talk about it almost every week on our, uh, and, uh, and it's coming, you know, it's a matter of time. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt we'll have one eventually. Um, the only thing I'll say is, uh, and I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me one way or the other at this point, but um, the idea that it will improve the game so much, uh, maybe it will, uh, maybe it won't. I, I, you know, again, we talk about on our um, YouTube thing, we've talked a lot about like end of game situations. You see a lot of bad offense with uh, shot clock too. So there, there would be a, a, a learning curve, but, um, but, again, I, I'm kind of tired of talking about it. I think it's coming. It's just a matter of uh, when it happens. Kevin?
2: I I agree. I, I always look at it from the uh, administrative side of it. You know, who's paying for those shot clocks and who's operating it? Uh, you know, you guys have done college, so you know that even at the college level, that's messed up. You know, they, they make mistakes. And at our school, we don't pay for ECO, so – you know, you're going to have a dad or a JB manager or somebody doing that clock. And, and and like Brian said, it's come in and all those things have be worked out. Um, but I've, I've never played in a, a league, coaching a league that has a shot clock. You guys mentioned that you've seen it work well. I'd be curious to see your perspective on why you think it works. I really – I don't really care either, but I don't know – how it's helping the game, the arguments of, oh, well, kids are playing at the college level and they need to have a shot clock to prepare. I I don't buy that. Um, you know, I think the overwhelming large majority of kids don't play at that level, um, especially in the public school games. So I don't buy that. But why do you guys think it's a good idea?
0: Well, all right. So I didn't want to say much, but I would also say Kevin, so the ones, the kids from our area, that do go on and play in college, it's not like they have this terrible experience in college because they didn't have a shot clock in high school. I don't think it has any impact on them at all. And I would also say, like, in our – right up here, in our little neck of the woods, I rarely see teams hold the ball. Do I see teams play, you know, more deliberate style? Sure. But um, but, it, but I know there are other parts of the – I can't even remember where I was this year, if it was watching AAU or watching – um, some high school games from out of the area. I think it does happen in other areas more often, but I don't see the old days of where, you know, a team might win the win the tip and then just go up and hold the ball at half court. I haven't seen I, that in this no, area. Oh nobody long. wants to do that. Yeah. Brian, I've, more. I've,
2: I've coached a long time, and I only held the ball once. One time I held the ball.
3: Is that when you got that technical foul and got thrown out of the game? Yeah. <laughs>
2: no, we were playing Dunbar. Over in Maryland in Christmas, and they had won the, you know, city championship the year before, and I'm happy to be in the game. And, I, and they, they, um, they held the ball on me, you know, and I was like, good, hold the ball on me because you're 20 points better than me and you're only up four. It gives me a chance. But I think people highlight that one in 100 time they see someone hold the ball and go crazy. It. I, I don't think it's a big part of the game let's
1: just go back to the old
0: lack of
2: action
0: <laughs> lack of action let's go back to lack of action right right I remember those days
1: i I, I think uh, so there's a couple of reasons why I like it you know it helps us with clock situations and I like the way that, that that's managed I also think uh, if I was going to say that there's an area that we struggle in or don't do a very good job in it's closely guarded counts while dribbling Uh, just as as high school officials, maybe not just our association, just high school officials in general. So you remove that with the shot clock. um, And those are two things that I think are really beneficial to it. So that's, that's why I personally like it. I think it just also, it it structures the, the ability to have the games in a a more even flow. It would probably take away from those that want to play at a much faster pace. Um, or at a much slower pace. And, and, and more on the girls' side, you know, I know you guys more focus on the boys' side with your podcast, but on the girls' side, you know, there's teams that are a little bit more methodical. Um, I think there's no secret that girls' teams are a little bit more fundamentally sound. And so, you know, they don't mind, you know, passing the ball. Uh, like at Marshall, uh, Mike Trevisano and his group does a really good job doing back doors, and it's at, at Princeton offense, and they're very, very good at it. And I think that there's opportunities, uh, you know, for a little bit more structure on both sides of the fence. Adam, you got anything else you want to add or should I just move on? Next. All right.
0: Are you awake, Adam?
1: Yep.
3: This is riveting information, though.
2: Hey guys, I got, I got 25 minutes till Jerry Lynn walks through the, through the door, so I'm just giving you a heads up. I got 25 minutes
1: left. Huh? All right. hey, does well, that mean you're that changing the pretty... locks? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be done in
0: 10. Is, is the there there <laughs> could be some entertaining, entertaining TV.
1: All right. So, this one here is actually written by the rules interpreter for the state of Virginia, Joyce Sisson. And this is about pregame dunking. And basically, I'm just going to paraphrase that she says that it would be okay to, to dunk during pregames. However, still not uh, have the ability to hang on the rim like during a game. So you wouldn't want to have a player doing chin-ups during the game, or else that would be the technical foul. However, uh, going up and dunking the ball, the way the basket has changed, uh, the new flex rims uh, are an area. So um, that that is her rule change. Uh, and I'm, I'm really interested to hear it from your administrative uh, mind, Kevin, what your thoughts are on this.
2: Let them dunk. Let the boys dunk. Okay. I mean, we have, you know, maybe a couple kids on each team that can dunk. I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, as she – I was reading her rationale a little bit, and I agree with her. You know, ADs condone it. Coaches can it. You know, it's just like, why not let it happen? I think the, the rims can handle it. Uh, they handle it all year. Um, so I'd say let them, let them do it.
1: Are you concerned at all about any kids maybe getting injured during pregame warms that are, you know – Trying to dunk and they ended up getting caught and laying awkwardly. Or is that it's at uh, past that stage?
3: That's just Darwinian evolution there.
0: <laughs> Funny story. Uh you guys, most people know Bobby Laton, who's the uh varsity assistant at Madison. He and I played together in high school, and um he's not real big, he's like six feet. Uh, but he's a good athlete, you know, played football and basketball in high school. And we had a game in warmups. He went up to dunk the ball and he cut his, cut his hand on the rim in warmups and had to leave and go get stitches and miss the whole game. So I still remind him of that to this day. And you guys feel free to um, at appropriate times, but, uh, but I say the same thing, let them dunk, you know, coach, I think coaches would have to, if you're a good coach, you'll, you'll think it through and decide, you know, are you going to let your kids dunk the entire time? Are you going to, let them dunk for 10 minutes and then, you know, whatever. But um, I can say as a player, probably my um, my highlights in my playing career came dunking during warm-ups much more than they did during actual game time. <laughs> and that summer camp when you were 18. That's right. Mike Bray coaching me up. All
1: right. So I think we're all on board with that. Um, let me scroll down here and see. I think we had one or two Ooh, more. Getting close. uh this is just about an adult being ejected they have to leave if nobody else is on the bench the game's forfeited all right this one is one that uh got a lot of legs last year and on uh, uh, thankfully it didn't pass i'm not a big fan of it but because there's been so many issues with uniforms and not having the right headbands and arm sleeves and colors and Now the head coach must uh, be responsible for it, otherwise they will receive a technical foul for allowing a player to play with illegal apparel. And the only reason I bring this up, uh, not because I agree with it, but because uh, from what I understand, this was very hotly voted on last year, and uh, it got to a point where they thought it might get pushed through. So it wouldn't surprise me if this did get pushed through. Uh, that a, a technical foul on the head coach directly would finally solve the mystery that we're out there uh, with our uniform issues with sleeves and uh, everything else. So, Adam, why don't you lead this one off? I know you're excited about this one.
3: Not awful, terrible. The bottom line is if there should be no uniform rules in the rules. Um, if we can tell the difference between the two teams and nobody's wearing something that anybody else can get hurt, I don't, I, could, I don't care as an official whether kids' uniforms are tucked in or not or their headbands match or their socks match. That's a coach's job. You want your team to look like a bunch of Joe bags of donuts, that's up to you. You want them to look good, that's fine. I mean, again, start on the benches, get out of the sweatsuits, but no, what a terrible rule.
0: I I about some allow
3: that to be considered.
0: I do laugh when um, I don't know what it says in your uh, referee book about what you're supposed to say to coaches when you walk over to say hello. You know, before the <laughs> not game allowed play. to
3: repeat that on this air. <laughs> I don't think.
0: But you, yeah, that's a closely guarded secret. But there are officials. It must be in your book. Ask if your team is properly equipped. I used to always laugh when they asked me about. it. It's like, yeah, it looks like you're all wearing shorts and shirts. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs>
3: Yeah, when I coach my kids' baseball team, the umpires say, "Are your are your players, you know, wearing the proper equipment?" I, go, I don't know. What about wedding rings? Are those okay?" <laughs> Come on, just play the damn games.
1: Yeah. So, but I will, I will, sh- I will caution you know the R seven listeners and the many coaches that watch uh, the podcast for Nova Hoopcast. Um, that I would not be surprised if that passed. So the the
3: better question from all this is if, if a coach is in particular, if, if you're adamantly opposed to some of this stuff, how do you voice your, your displeasure with these rules? Is there a mechanism for you guys to do that?
2: Coaches? Yeah. No, I guess, you know, it'd go back to the beginning where I asked Scott how these rules get, you know past, I guess we should be a part of that process. I don't know there's any other, other way, just sort of you. I think you, you take what you are been given and complain about it. So, I, I, I think you got to be a part of the, the beginning yeah. of the whole rule. And, you know,
3: sounds like your DSA is not doing it, sounds like your DSA is not doing its job, is what I'm
2: thinking. <laughs> worthless, it's true, worthless.
1: All right. So there's two, uh, editorial changes. I'll just, whoa, 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 whoa. you didn't say anything about editorial
3: changes for this hey, discussion.
1: one of them. It I'm interested from a coach's already. perspective. It's not in my contract. All right. Well then I'll just meet you. All right. So <laughs> what, uh, what I'm looking at here is one is if right now, if there's a foul called the calling official goes table side. Okay. And As the official goes table side, you know, he has the ability to commute with the coaches. Now they're trying to make a change where he goes opposite. I'm just curious as to what you guys think about that.
0: I didn't understand anything you just talked about. I need somebody to interpret that.
1: So if Adam calls a foul, he's going to report it. He's going to end up standing right next to the bench. Okay. Now they're saying they want him to go away from the table on opposite, on the opposite side.
3: But my calls are so bad, and Brian's voice is so loud. I'm going to hear his displeasure all the way across the court anyway, so it doesn't really matter.
1: Well, and that's my point is yeah. I think I think it it opens up negative lines of communication as opposed to Kevin being able to say, "Hey, Adam, what would you see on that play?" Nothing. I, usual. I agree, Kevin. Um, and then the last one, who the coaches won't care about, but I know Mr. Brick will, is the elimination of the long switch. Is to have the official who calls a player control foul just report it and go back to where they were. Isn't that what we do now? Well, that's what you do. Okay. okay. So we're I'm
2: done. What the long switch is?
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? Most of our officials don't either, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but for our oh, officials that are officials that are listening are 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 hoping that one passes because uh, we don't do it right anyway, so it doesn't matter. So um but that's it those are the rules finalists it is uh today is april 23rd so the expectation is that these will be voted on in the, the end of april early may and that we'll get a, a you know a, an email out from nfhs to the schools and the officials associations with the rule changes you know there's a couple in there we didn't go through that Good. if you really want to go look at them go look at them but we don't care about uniform stuff really at least for this setting and uh but I would say I thought this was fun, guys. It was it was a joy to get back together with you guys, and good to see uh, you guys, especially Kevin. Happy birthday, the Big Five O.
2: Big Five O. Hey, I want to say that um, generally, I think that officials are bad people. True. Uh, but um, I'd agree with that. But you guys are trying, so I
0: appreciate the effort.
1: Well, one of us might be trying. I'm not sure about the other one.
0: I think uh, we should also try to schedule this a little bit better around Adam's nap time next time. Or if, he's having, if he's having trouble sleeping at night, we can get on and do this again, and that'll probably cure it right there.
3: No, yeah, well, for most people, this will be, we forget the Zepa. I mean, this thing will cure insomnia <laughs> in a heartbeat. Probably, I mean, you should probably get Zepa as a, a sponsor because more people will sleep listening to this, therefore, they'll snore more, so they need the Zepa. So you might want to have, uh, and Kevin
0: and I are doing a, uh, Kevin and I are doing a two hour broadcast, um, just to talk about the shot clock
3: with Jerry Lynn,
0: Jerry Lynn
2: yeah. T minus 10 minutes.
3: That, oh. is, that is my cue. <laughs> uh, we really appreciate it. And the, uh, next time we'll have to do this at a, at a watering hole. If, uh, yes. we're to, if we're allowed to
1: <laughs> guys, it was All a right, pleasure see you
0: guys. Thank you guys. Thanks. Take care. All right. Yep.
1: So that was the end of our podcast experience, our collaborative effort that we worked together today with uh, Brian Doyle and Kevin Wearing from the Nova Hoops cast. And Adam and I enjoyed our time uh, with the coaches and spent some time understanding uh, their viewpoint on some of the rule changes. And I think overall it was a success for everyone. But I wanted to uh, remind everyone uh, that we'll be back uh, hopefully a little later this summer. Not sure what's going to happen with camps, with our camp edition. Uh, we obviously may be changing that, uh, but I'm sure we can talk about the rule changes and do some other things. But uh, until then, Adam and I want to share our, our deepest regards for those that are on the front lines, all of our uh, doctors and nurses, those that are working at uh, grocery stores and delivering food and just out there uh, subjecting themselves to the opportunity of, unfortunately, uh, being... Uh, in front of this virus so I uh, want to thank them I want to thank the uh, seven listeners that we have plus all the listeners that Nova Hoops cast has we might have even uh, had one or two come over to our show today so I want to thank everybody for listening and uh, I'm going to take Adam's line uh, from him today since he's not on but let this be the only inadvertent whistle in your day
0: Pain of yesterday. I know my kingdom awaits, and they've forgiven.
3: So yeah. strong, and I'm, back I'm feeling like there's nothing I can't try. Nothing. And if you with me, put yeah. your
2: hands put your high. hands high. high.